You are listening to episode four of the Almost Sideways podcast. On this episode, Todd and Terry review it as well as Wind River. Todd also gives us his latest predictions for this year's Oscars. And our power rankings focus on the best actors yet to be nominated for an Academy Award. All this coming up on the Almost Sideways podcast. Here we go. Give me a go, no go for launch. There's a new fiesta in the making as we speak. I was going to say something that was not true. Obviously, I agree. We are go for launch. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are here with episode four for you. Uh, my name is Terry Plucknett, and back with us for this one is Todd Plucknett. How's it going, Todd? It's going good. How was the camping trip? Uh, it was camping. It was my first time. That was interesting. I kind of wish I was watching college football. <laughs> yeah. First, I want to remind everyone, uh, if you're listening, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. If uh, You could go to iTunes, rate us, review us. That way uh, we can be heard by more people. Also, you can find us at almostsideways.com if you're interested in what we think about some other movies. We have a whole bunch of movies uh, reviewed on there. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Almost Sideways. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, on, uh, on YouTube. Adam's got the Almost Sideways uh, YouTube channel going nice and strong there. Uh, he's also got his uh, his podcast that's a part of the the Almost Sideways family of networks as well. So uh, you can find us all over the place. Please look us up. And again, rate us and review us on iTunes so that we can uh, get some extra listeners on our hands here. All right. It is time for some movie reviews. I love this movie so much. He saved the day! Movie reviews! We don't want to spend too much time on our movie reviews uh, this week because we have a lot to get to as Todd's going to share with us his Oscar predictions looking ahead to uh, the Oscars coming up at the start of 2018. Uh, but we do have a couple uh, recent films we want to look at. Todd, I'm going to let you start with uh, the big blockbuster smash that has, uh, that has plagued our uh, fair cinemas over the last week or two. Yeah, I got a, I got the chance to go see the movie that everyone apparently has seen, and that is It, uh, the Stephen King adaptation directed by Andrew Muschietti. And uh, I wasn't familiar with the 1990 uh, miniseries. I, I have not seen that, but I was actually pretty impressed with this movie, and it's, it's a rare case of a movie where it's not particularly well written it's it's got like a few really horrible performances it's like loaded with excess cgi and jump scares and isn't necessarily all that scary and about 20 minutes too long but somehow it's still really effective uh bill skarsgård i think he's just tremendously creepy as pennywise the uh the shape-shifting clown who preys on children like a few of the kids are actually pretty good in their roles but a few of them are kind of unwatchable it's it's sort of similar to stand by me in that way and the coming-of-age stuff and the child interaction and the dynamics between the characters. It's uh, definitely a, like a throwback horror movie. Uh, it's got like a an affinity for like Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween. And uh, it's, it's really entertaining and pretty unpredictable 
uh, it's got a lot of like psychological creepiness and visuals that are kind of hard to forget. And I definitely recommend the movie. I give it a, a like a solid three stars. I was thinking of Stand By Me when I saw the trailer too. I'm one of the few people in the world that has yet to see this film. Uh, but I thought it was, it almost felt like a uh, Stand By Me meets The Shining almost, or just kind of Stand By Me meets what you think of as a stereotypical Stephen King thriller. Yeah, essentially. I mean, it the, it does give some nods to uh, like late 70s, early 80s slasher movies. Like Nightmare on Elm Street is definitely the one that I would most consider would be like it in that way, but... Yeah, I mean, the Stephen King movies that, like, the his horror suspense stuff is definitely well represented in there, but yeah, the stand-by-me, the, the kid dynamic stuff is what most represents Stephen King in this movie to me. It's, it's definitely a coming-of-age story. Do you think this film's success is because everyone has fallen in love with the film? Or is it because everyone was so starved for a blockbuster to come to theaters after two or three weeks of the worst box office like in almost two decades that the first sight of a decent film that was produced for the masses, everyone just flocked to? There's probably some of that, but yeah, because I, I, I hadn't even been to the theater in a, like a month to see a one of the big movies either so yeah i mean there's probably a a feeling of like relief that there's actually something you want to go see and it happened to be one that people actually were really anticipated anyway so but yeah I, I i think people are do really like the movie and i think that enough people haven't seen the original it, it makes it still fresh in that way all right so you said three stars three stars all right so the movie I'm going to uh, I'm going to review today is a, a smaller film that um, over the last month or so has been getting a wider and wider release, and is one that has really been taken in by the audience that have seen it, and that is the uh, the crime drama Wind River, starring Je Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen, who are reuniting in a way after some of the Avengers movies. This one is a uh, a story set on a an Indian reservation in Wyoming where Jeremy Renner plays a uh, game hunter. He he goes out and hunts the predators that are going after the the flocks of of livestock. And in one of his tours around the reservation, he finds a body and it becomes a big crime investigation trying to figure out what happened you get a uh, you get Elizabeth Olsen coming in as this young rookie FBI agent that has to try and figure out what happened I I love this film it was uh, it was subtle yet intense throughout um, Jeremy Renner shows why he has a couple Oscar nominations after seeing him play Hawkeye in the Avengers films for a little while you forget the fact that he is an amazing actor and Elizabeth Olsen shows that she's one of the best young actresses out there right now the movie was written and directed by Taylor Sheridan who uh, 
has a pretty remarkable resume right now when it comes to screenwriting. Uh, he's got three films out. Sicario, which was an amazing film uh, just a couple years ago. Hell or High Water, which got a Best Picture nomination last year. And now this, which he also directed. Uh, he is showing that he is one of the best up-and-coming screenwriters we have out there right now. And um, this film, as you go along, you find all these twists and turns in the story. And you see just really... The majority of it is watching Jeremy Re Jeremy Renner react to what's going on around him, and also Elizabeth Olsen react, and how the two play off of each other is really really fascinating. I love this movie. I was glued to it the entire time, all the way to the big dramatic ending. Yeah, I also uh, I also really like the movie too. Uh, there are some scenes in there that that uh, definitely remind me of the other movies that Sheridan wrote, and it's like he, he made them even more like dramatic and sudden than uh, the directors of his of those other movies. And uh, like it's, like there, there are a couple scenes that are definitely Sicario-ish, and uh, I, I really appreciate the movie, and, it, and it's got an amazing like set location. Like it, I, I really like the look of the movie, and yes. obviously the acting is incredible. I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. It's a really good movie. Yeah, you mentioning how it kind of compares to the other ones. In a lot of ways, you could you could say this is like a western set on an Indian reservation in the middle of winter. Yeah, uh, yeah, it it definitely has that sort of neo western feel. Um, so I'm giving uh, three and a half stars to Wind River, uh, and I'm hoping that come January this hangs around for some award season stuff because I think it's definitely worth it. Yeah. I agree. I, I think it, it would. It has a has a chance. It's de it's definitely had a longer box office run than I ever expected it to. So I mean, people are seeing the movie, and if people are passionate about it, it could definitely sneak into a couple of categories. All right. So those are our reviews for today. Uh, Todd's giving it three stars. I'm giving Wind River three and a half stars. Both it sounds like are worth checking out um, if you haven't done so already. Now it's time to transition to. Uh, the main topic of today's podcast, and that is um, Todd's Oscar predictions. Uh, this last month started our 10th year of Almost Sideways. For about two-thirds of that, I think the, really the only people were, that were paying attention to Almost Sideways were the three or four of us that were contributing to it. However, we have been putting content on the internet for 10 years, well, now starting our 10th year. And that means, Todd, I don't know if you realize this or not, these are the 10th Oscars that you have put up predictions for on AlmostSideways.com. Can you believe that? Wow. I'm, I can half remember predicting the 08 Oscars. <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> it, it, it was a long time ago. It really was. But yeah, this is, this is the 10th annual Todd's Oscar... Uh, Oscar prediction here and uh, if you're not familiar with what we do or what Todd's been up to it's kind of become his routine that he puts out his initial Oscar uh, Oscars preview and predictions the January or February before so he put out a set of uh, predictions last January looking ahead already to uh, to this winner's um, award show, 
And now that we've seen some of the movies, we know kind of what some of the release dates are going to be. He's going to update us a little bit on the major categories, and he'll update us a little more as we get closer and closer to it. And over the years, I will say, Todd, more times than not, you have been pretty close to right. It's been impressive. Yeah, my my proudest moment was predicting Birdman in the January before the Oscars, which I ended up not even predicting when the Oscars were coming around, but like I did have that as my best picture winner 13 months in advance. It, that That's just... <laughs> That's just wrong in so many ways. So, let's uh, let's take a look at this. Uh, adapted screenplay. You've been researching this stuff. You've been uh, compiling some uh, some ideas kind of all throughout the year. Uh, so, what, uh, what stand out as your top five and some that might be some contenders sneaking in there? The, the movie I have predicted to win is Last Flag Flying, which is Richard Linklater's... Uh, spiritual follow-up to The Last Detail, which was an Oscar-nominated movie in the 70s with Jack Nicholson and Randy Quaid, who were both nominated for it. And Linklater is at a point in his career where he just like really can't miss. And this is a movie that I feel like uh, a lot of people in the industry always mention this as being like, or always mention The Last Detail as being one of their favorite movies. And uh, this, this seems like the perfect time for this movie to come out. And it's a time for Link later to get an Oscar. So that is the movie I have predicted to win Best Adapted Screenplay. I have uh, Call Me By Your Name, which was uh, a big hit so far in festivals. Uh, it's written by James Ivory, it's a, who's obviously a legendary screenwriter. It's one of the most acclaimed movies of the year. It stars Army Hammer and uh, Timothy Chalamet. Uh, the subject matter isn't the easiest to reward, but, I mean, it's definitely uh, it's de- being the pedigree that it is, it, it should definitely get a nomination. Uh, I have Mudbound, which was originally my, or which was my best picture predicted movie in January. It's uh, written by Dee Rees and Virgil Williams, Dee Rees being her most famous movie was Pariah, which was a really small indie movie. And uh, it looks like really like an old school Academy movie. It's going to be a Netflix movie, which is going to be a little bit harder for it to sne- get in the categories, but I think eventually they will have their movie, and this seems like a pretty good shot at being a big Oscar movie for the studio. My number four, I have Molly's Game, which is uh, written and directed for the first time ever by Aaron Sorkin. Uh, he was somehow snubbed for Steve Jobs, which I still don't really understand, and so he, he's always in the running for a screenplay nomination whenever he actually writes something, and this is the type of material that'll, that'll definitely be a, a good shot at a screenplay nomination. So, and my number five is The Disaster Artist, which is written by Scott Neustetter and uh, Michael H. Weber, who have had a, a few hits in their career so far as a duo, 500 Days of Summer, The Spectacular Now, uh, it would be an outside the box choice, but it uh, it really looks really good. I mean, how how seriously can we take James Franco as a filmmaker? I I don't know, but I mean, it's it's a movie about the making of the worst, pretty much the worst movie ever made. It could be the Ed Wood of our generation, or it could be another movie about the making of a movie like Hitchcock or something that doesn't really uh, catch on. But so far, everything I've heard is, has been positive, and it. I think it really is a good shot at being a, at showing up in a, a, a few categories. Yeah, and maybe an outside the box choice, but it's uh, 
when they have those moments that they have that they reward those it's in screenplay so it would make sense that it would pop up there yeah well the only thing that it, adapted screenplay is normally the one that's a little bit more like prestigious and uh or sophisticated i guess they it's more like literary stuff unless it's borat like everything else it's always like really like <laughs> well like writing like the, the actual writing of it is more than the ideas which is more original screenplay but this is i mean this just seems like too good to be true it could be adaptation kind of thing or whatever it, i am i'm really looking forward to seeing it i think it has a good shot at getting in so are you telling me that borat is not to be considered serious cinema it's just it, it's not sophisticated <laughs> not sophisticated <laughs> i i think that's that's probably a, a fair statement <laughs> okay so those are your top uh five best adapted screenplays uh i think you got one as an honorable mention there yeah i have uh wonderstruck which is the new todd haynes movie another one with julianne moore which uh, some of her best work is in his movies uh it's written by brian selznick who was the writer of the book hugo and uh, he's actually writing the screenplay for this movie, too. And uh, the reviews so far have been a little mixed, but Todd Haynes always makes great movies. And this one, uh, I think, is right uh, on the outside looking into adapted screenplay. Yeah, having Todd Haynes uh, looking at content similar to Hugo seems like a really, uh, a really interesting mix there. Cool. All right. So let's move on. Let's look at now your top five best original screenplays i see you originally had downsizing as your number one you also had some films in there that have already been released so we kind of know where we stand on those so as of right now what are your top five best original screenplays uh my top five in uh includes my winner which is the post which is uh steven spielberg's new movie written by liz hannah and josh singer who actually won an oscar for spotlight it's another movie uh, that is in the setting of uh, journalism, which is always an easy sell for the Academy, and uh, especially in the screenplay categories. And uh, the cast is like crazy. It's got Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks. It's it's definitely going to be an easy movie for the Academy to flock to. And then I also have uh, number two. I have Downsizing, which is the Alexander Payne movie with his screenwriting buddy Jim Taylor. It's been a passion project for him for a while. And his last three movies have been nominated for picture, director, and screenplay. Uh, the movie sounds really quirky, and but uh, this is the right category for it to get in if it does, because original screenplay is more about like stories than actual the actual writing, and uh, ideas like that are, can definitely get in pretty easily. And then I have a couple... Uh, choices that would be definitely outside the box for the academy but i think right now with how popular they became it's possible uh i have get out which written by jordan peele and it would be uh it'd be a huge it'd be a huge step to award like an early release date dark comedy horror movie but the reviews were almost unanimous and uh it's a really a good psychological thriller at the same time and uh, if you're talking about diversity, I don't know how much more you get than uh, Jordan Peele getting nominated for a screenplay. And then I have The Big Sick, 
written in written by uh, Camille Ninjani and Emily Gordon about their life. It was a huge indie hit and almost unanimous acclaim again. It uh, it could have been like a, a Woody Allen movie or so in the like in the seventies. It, it kind of really has that feel. And uh, I think the only thing that would go against it is if Woody Allen's movie actually is really good, then it might like just grab that nomination from him. And I also have the untitled Paul Thomas Anderson movie, which uh, it's kind of crazy we still know what the title is, but we don't. Uh, and there, there was sort of acquired taste. Even his last movie, Inherent Vice, was nominated for screenplay. Like His, his movies are easy to reward, even if they're not for Best Picture necessarily. Uh, I hope it gets released this year, and it, it's going to be Daniel Day-Lewis' last film, supposedly. Those, so those are my top five original screenplays. All right. Uh, so a couple takeaways from that list. Talking about downsizing, uh, we we like to talk about the the filmmakers that have like uh, that are events when they when they make a film, and I think for for the indie crowd, Alexander Payne has really become that. I mean everything from from Sideways to The Descendants to to Nebraska. He he is um, must watch filmmaking whenever he does come out with film every couple years um so i think that's going to be a great one to look at and i agree he's probably a lock i love your idea of just the idea of jordan peele being a part of the entire award season so i am so hoping that happens because maybe maybe he brings key along you never know and then we just have some key yeah, of course. And then we just have some Key and Peele, like, presenting at the Oscars. I mean, if that's all that comes out of this nomination, it is totally worth it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> they, should, um, they, they, should, uh, they should host the Golden Globes together. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? That would, that would be amazing. Anyways, um, I love The Big Sick. It's one of my favorite films of the year so far. And I would be so disappointed if it doesn't get honored here because it is kind of like what you said. It is the perfect movie to be honored with a nomination in original screenplay. Like the, this is what original screenplay was built for. It was built for films like The Big Sick. Um, so I would, I really hope that that one comes true. And the last one, Paul Thomas Anderson. He he's a master at whatever he does, and so. Uh, including him, I think is definitely, uh, definitely something that it would be a possibility for sure. Okay, um, what are uh, you have any honorable mentions for uh, original screenplay? Yeah, I have quite a few because th- this category is always the hardest to predict. I have uh, these aren't in any really particular order. Uh, I have Battle of the Sexes, which is a movie I'm not really, I don't have that much faith in, but. If it can find the balance between comedy and drama, I think it could definitely get in. I have Darkest Hour, which is Joe Wright's movie. It looks like a really talky movie, and it's got Gary Oldman in that crazy Churchill makeup. It's it's going to be one of the the biggest Oscar movies of the year. It just depends on how good the screenplay is. And I have The Florida Project, which is I think one of the one of the favorites in Best Picture. It's by the writer-director of Tangerine, which was a big indie hit a couple years ago. And I have The Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which is by Martin McDonough, who is the nominated writer of In Bruges. 
The Shape of Water, which is the Pan's Labyrinth-esque movie by Guillermo del Toro. It looks like it definitely returned to form and really good reviews so far. And uh, Coco, which is the Pixar movie, and that's always got to be in the running, as well as Wonder Wheel, which is Woody Allen's new movie there, which actually looks like a good Woody Allen movie. So you've got Darkest Hour in your honorable mentions. Uh, I just want to mention that was number two on your list back in January. Um, so so you have that falling out. Uh, something else I want to ask you about really quick. Um, in your original top five, you had Dunkirk and Detroit. And you have neither of those in your top five or your honorable mention. Do you see any possibility where either of those two sneak back into this category? I don't see Dunkirk as really a, an achievement in screenplay. I thought it was going to be, but when after I watched it, I really didn't think that was really that realistic of an option. Detroit, I still haven't seen, but I I don't know. I, I don't like the release date, necessarily, of when it came out. And uh, it could it could still get in. I mean, both of uh, the Mark Bull movies before did, but... I don't know. I, I didn't go... Like, if I was writing my article, it w- I would have had probably, like... 20 just outside the top five like i normally do but this uh i was doing this more condensed all right so let's move on then our next category is best supporting actress uh you had in january a first time uh winner with a couple with quite a few first time nominees in there um tell me what your best supporting actress uh list looks like now uh, the winner of Best Foreign Actress, I have predicted Margot Robbie in Goodbye, Christopher Robin. And this movie looks like it could be the, this year's Finding Neverland or something. And uh, she's becoming one of the more beloved younger actresses. And uh, it could be it could be too early to re- reward her now. But I think if she's as good as uh, she can be in this role, she definitely can when it she plays the wife role to uh, uh, Donald Gleason, so there'll be I'm sure there'll be a lot of really really good scenes between them. It's it's one of the more anticipated movies with the it's got a, just a beautiful trailer. And uh, second, I have Melissa Leo in Novitiate, I think is how you pronounce it. She plays a nun in 1960s uh, Vatican. And she can overact or be subtle, and she'll probably do both in this. It was a special jury prize winner at Sundance, so she'll uh, she could easily get her third nomination. And I have Kirsten Scott Thomas for Darkest Hour. She somehow only has one nomination in her career, which is kind of weird to think about. She plays Winston Churchill's wife. Uh, she's one of the more consistent actresses when she actually does make movies, and Joe Wright can make a good movie and can really direct actors well. And have Hong Chow for Downsizing, which is only her second movie, but everything that I've heard says that she has like a crucial role in Alexander Payne's movie. He can pretty much get anyone a nomination. He got June Squibb a nomination. So, and she is also in Big Little Lies, and which is obviously a big, was a big uh, TV hit this year, so people already have seen her. And uh, I have Holly Hunter in The Big Sick, which was the big, yeah, a big indie movie, and she hasn't been nominated in a while, and she's really good. It, it, it feels like a movie I would definitely get, like, a SAG ensemble nomination, but if someone's going to get singled out in that movie, it is absolutely going to be Holly Hunter, because she has, like, a few scenes that are just, like, where she is on top of her game. 
And she, yeah, it's, I think it's, her last was her last nomination was for thirteen, and that was in two thousand three. So it's time she gets another one. Yeah, that's amazing to think that it's been since two thousand three for her. I agree. She had she had some amazing scenes in there, and if yeah, if any actor is gonna get um, get recognized from that film, it would be her. Um, I love your uh, comparison of the Christopher Robin film, The Finding Neverland. That is a perfect comparison from everything I've seen about it too. Um, looking at Margot Robbie as a potential winner out of it is uh, is definitely a bold statement there. Um, but it's not if it turns out to be what we think it could be, it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility. I am really intrigued by the idea of Melissa Leo playing a nun. Um, thinking yeah. about some of the brash characters that she has played in the past to then see her, you know, channel a nun is it's it's kind of a real step out. So if she pulls it off well, definitely nomination there. Um, and I love your comment about Alexander Payne. Can't get anybody nominated. Well, apparently except for Shailene Woodley, but you know, well we can True. We can uh, talk about that snub another time. <laughs> and and Paul Giamatti didn't get nominated for Sideways, which is one of the biggest jokes of the 21st century at the Oscars. Yeah, we don't uh, talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, let's let's just ignore that ever happened. And they did too, so that's why they uh, nominated him for Cinderella Man the next year. What? Exactly. <laughs> Do you have any uh, uh, honorable mentions here for supporting actress? I do. I have three. I have uh, Julianne Moore for Wonderstruck. Uh, her best performance ever was in a Todd Haynes movie for Far From Heaven, so I mean, I'm sure that she'll have a crucial role in that. And I have Nicole Kidman for The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which is Yorgos Lanthimos' new movie. And she she just has so, so much stuff she's doing this year. She had Big Little Lies, she had Top of the Lake, and she had The Beguiled, and she's got The Upside coming out, which is the remake of The Untouchables. Like, she's everywhere right now, and I think that's her most, her best chance at a nomination, if it really is as good as it looks, and it looks just bizarre and crazy and awesome. And I have Tatiana Maslany for Stronger, which, uh, she's, uh, most known for her TV work in, uh, Orphan Black, and Stronger is the, the movie about the Boston Marathon bomber, or bombing survivor, starring Jake Gyllenhaal and she plays his wife and I'm sh- I I'm at and like that normally is the type of role that the academy likes is the supportive wife role. Julianne Moore is definitely looking for a for a follow-up nomination to her win and uh that would be a great place for her to get it. I am so intrigued by uh the follow-up Yorgos Lanthimos movie. I just saw The Lobster uh not that long ago, sometime over the summer. And his films have become something that I'm just fascinated by because that movie was so strange. And from everything I've heard, this one is going to be more of the same. And it, it's one of those where you, it's so strange you can't look away. Yeah. I mean, just look at the title of it. The Killing of a Sacred Deer. <laughs> you don't make that movie in America. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Okay, uh, moving on. Best Supporting Actor. Uh, I know you have one of your... uh, In January, you predicted one of your favorite TV actors to be the winner here, as long as some other uh, 
personal favorites of yours being nominated. Tell me what your best supporting actor list looks like now. All right. Uh, the winning, I have Willem Dafoe in The Florida Project. Uh, he plays the father role, and he, he definitely is getting to the point where he could have the overdue card at the Oscars. The, it's got a tiny budget, but it's, so it's going to need a big uh, uh, awards push by the studio. But, I mean, Sean Baker has a strong backing, and I know like a lot of... He, he has a lot of actors and peop- and producers that really enjoyed Tangerine and like are going to push this movie for Oscar Oscar contention. And uh, second, I have Army Hammer for Call Me by Your Name. Uh, they've been tr- like they've been trying to make Army Hammer happen for like since the Social Network, and this actually looks like the one role where it actually looks like he belongs in. He has that classic movie star look, and it, it definitely would fit this this cut this type of role and I have Lawrence Fishburne for Last Flag Flying he hasn't he hasn't been nominated since what 93 like so it's it's been a long time and his, his counterpart in the last detail was the only one of the principal cast that wasn't nominated and I think he definitely could steal the show from Cranston and Carell his he's playing the the role of the the grieving father cuz they're going to like his son's funeral or something I think he'll definitely have the most uh, explosive uh, scenes in that movie. I have Jason Mitchell for Mudbound. He arguably should have gotten nominated for Straight Outta Compton. Uh, His his role here looks really juicy. I think uh, he's a crazy ensemble cast. Jonathan Banks, Kerry Mulligan, Garrett Hedlund, Jason Clark. But I think if he does it right, he he could easily secure a nomination for it. And I have Sam Rockwell for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. From what I've heard, he's the highlight of the movie, as which he also was in Seven Psychopaths, Mark, uh, McDonough's last movie. And I think he's one of the best actors in the world without a nomination, and this is the type of scene-stealing supporting role that could finally get him his nomination that he's deserved several times. It is bizarre to think about the fact that Willem Dafoe doesn't have an Oscar. He's got so many great performances, um, and he's such a, an incredible actor that the fact that he, he's been nominated, but the fact that he doesn't have an award yet, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I hope, I hope they finally say, you know what, it's time to, to honor this, uh, this talent. Um, you mentioned Army Hammer, and I, I like what you said, how they've been trying to make him happen for a long time, and outside of the social network where he played where he played the Winklevi it almost feels like he's he's too hollywood like he's almost too perfect to really be taken seriously in a dramatic role almost i, I can't even think of something where where you can say he's gotten a critical a critically acclaimed performance outside of social network i mean he he had a, a five minute part in nocturnal animals last year but I say when was uh, the... J. Edgar, he, he was pretty good in J. Edgar, I think. That's true. That's true. Uh, he has to really like rough himself up and, and get dark and dirty into something to really uh, break out of this, this uh, stigma he's got around him. And, uh, and, he, and then the last one, I agree completely, Sam Rockwell is due. He... he it is insane to think that he doesn't have a nomination at this point. 
and so definitely he uh, he deserves to be uh, in the list at some point. Yep. So uh, what what were your uh, honorable mentions here for supporting actor? Uh, honorable mentions: I have Ben Mendelsohn for Darkest Hour. Uh, he plays King George the Sixth, which is the part that uh, Colin Firth won his Oscar for for the King's Speech. So he's obviously going to have a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to chew on in that role, and he's been on the fringe of like great movies for years. So he he could easily be uh, a first time nominee this year. I have Patrick Stewart for Logan. He's never really been close to a nomination, but uh, the movie is more of an acting showcase than uh, we ever would have thought it was, and he is definitely the highlight of that movie. Uh, I have Mark Rylance for Dunkirk. He's a past winner and really has the only role in the movie that could even be considered for award attention. And um, I have uh, Mark Hamill for The Last Jedi, which would be the ultimate Sylvester Stallone-type nomination. Like, he proved that it could happen, like, <laughs> and uh, I, if Mark Hamill has Oak Wolf, we don't know how big his role is, but if he has the kind of role that we would hope that he has, I think it'd be awesome if he was nominated. It might be a long shot, but it is worth mentioning. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think Mark Hamill is definitely one that, if he has the, the type of substantial role that we're looking at, it would be cool to see him in there. Um, you kind of feel like his role might be similar to what Harrison Ford's was in Force Awakens. I also agree Mark Rylance is the only one, really, that has a shot at being nominated from Dunkirk. Um, I like your thought of trying to get Logan in there at some point, and Patrick Stewart would be a great spot to have that in there. Um, and then with your mention of, uh, of Ben Mendelsohn, I, have an, I, I was thinking, when was the last time someone was nominated for playing a character that someone else had already been nominated for or had won for. Because you mentioned uh, this was Colin Firth. This was the role Colin Firth won the Oscar for. Has this ever happened before? Someone being nominated for playing a character that uh, that they've that someone else has already been awarded for? Well, maybe not with that much like, that little amount of time between them, but, I mean, there's been several people nominated for playing Lincoln and that kind of thing, but... That's true. And not not for a while, but, yeah, that close together, unless it was in the same movie, like, uh... Like a, di like a different era of character, like Kate Winslet did in Titanic or sure. Iris or something like that, but, yeah, I... Queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth, that was... Isn't that, uh... Isn't that what Judy Dench won for and... Cape Blanche has played a couple of times. I don't know. That's as close as I can come, but... Yeah. It would be interesting uh, if that happened, because that, yeah, that, that's such a rare feat to have, to see happen there. Okay. Moving into uh, Best Actress. Your Best Actress back in January was a stacked top five with three that seemed to get nominated all the time in there. Uh, recent winner. Um, let's hear what uh, your best actress lo looks like now. Okay, it's going to look uh, somewhat different from that. Uh, my winner, I have finally winning an Oscar, Annette Benning for Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. Uh, she plays uh, former Oscar winner Gloria Graham. 
It's written by the writer of the uh, really good British movie Control. She she needs a win at some point. Like she's been around winning for so long. She ran into Hillary Swank twice, but she doesn't have Hillary Swank against her this year. So she has a a couple. There've been a couple films like this, but uh, this one seems like the best bet. And then I have Meryl Streep for The Post. Unless you count AI, this is the first time that she's ever worked with Spielberg. And uh, they'll never run out of love for Meryl Streep. She'll be nominated for whatever. Especially after her award speech last year, her uh, honorary award. Like, she'll, like she's going to get nominated no matter how good the movie actually is. And I have uh, Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird, which is Greta Gerwig's directorial debut. And she's somehow becoming a regular in, like, the Oscar race. And the trailer looks like it really is a showcase for Saoirse Ronan, which is really cool. And, and, and it will need a big awards push because it does look like a really small movie. But I think I like it. I like her chances. Uh, I have Jane Fonda in a big comeback role in Our Souls at Night, which is an, a, an adult drama. She plays alongside Robert Redford. They're, who are, obviously, they're a couple Hollywood legends who... Uh, haven't been nominated in forever. I, I look at this as being like this year's 45 years, which uh, obviously was rewarded with a Best Actress nomination in the end. And I have Frances McDormand for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, the trailer looks awesome, and she's going. She looks. She's definitely the star of the movie. And uh, I don't know. She'll need to stand out because the cast is really, really good. But I mean, it looks really Fargo-ish, and. Uh, yeah, I, I can't. I honestly, if the movie is half good, I can't see her not getting nominated for it. I agree. Annette Benning is due. I find it funny that her two best performances have run into Hillary Swank. Um, but yeah, I think she definitely deserves something at some point. Um, well, technically, for me, her best performance is in Bugsy, but yeah, her two biggest Oscar threat roles were definitely the two that you talk about. I agree. Meryl is in something, so she's going to be nominated. What's interesting is in your original list, um, I mentioned some of the legends that always get nominated, and Meryl wasn't one of them. You had Judy Dench winning, you had Jennifer Lawrence being nominated, you had Kate Winslet being nominated, and but now we're seeing, you're now predicting Meryl Streep. It's just interesting to have all these legends that usually get honored whenever they make a film, all coming out with a film at the same time. Um, and yeah. only having well, the, one being in there. With the post, like that movie kind of came out of nowhere. I don't, I didn't even know that was gonna. I, that was actually a movie back then. So that's why I, I didn't mention that movie at all back in January. I think when it's all said and done, Saoirse Ronan might set a record for like most Oscar nominations for a former child actor, because what she's been able to do by going from being a child actor in something like Atonement, earning her first nomination for a film like Atonement, and then putting together the career that she's started to put together is pretty remarkable. Um, I mean, she could have turned into Abigail Breslin, but instead she became what she is, which is, uh, like you said, uh, an actress who every time that she makes a film, she is uh, she looks like she could be in this uh, in this category here. Uh, what do you have as your honorable mentions? Uh, honorable mentions. I do have uh, Judy Judy Dench for Victoria and Abdul. Uh, on paper, she'd be the winner, but the reviews haven't been all that great so far, so I, that's why I kind of left her off. I 
or otherwise she'd be the she'd be the winner for sure like it just it's a total oscar type movie i have emma stone for battle of the sexes i mean she just she just won so the nominations could just keep coming her way and uh i don't know i like i said i'm i'm not i'm not that crazy about the movie's chances but they have directed a best picture nomination before and I have Kate Winslet for either The Mountain Between Us or Wonder Wheel. Mountain Between Us is uh, the movie where they're stranded uh, in the mountains with... Uh, she's stranded in the mountains with Idris Elba. And Wonder Wheel is Woody Allen's movie. And it looks like more the kind of uh, Blue Jasmine type Woody Allen movie. Which obviously was the best actress win for Kate Blanchett. So if it's a good Woody Allen movie, Kate Winslet could easily get nominated for it. Uh, let's uh, let's move on to uh, to best actor now. Um, looking at it, uh, you had a few getting some uh, some return nominations back in January. You had a have a first time winner. Uh, what are your predictions for how this is going to turn out now? Okay, I have winning and uh, tying the record for most wins. I have Daniel Day Lewis for Paul Thomas Anderson's Untitled Movie. Which, I don't really know what else to say other than that. It is Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, second, I have Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour. And uh, just seeing originally the the picture of what he looks like as Winston Churchill reminded me of Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln. And how perfect it looked and how much they just transformed themselves. The only thing that I think might go against him is how popular John Lithgow's Churchill is in the Netflix show The Crown because he's winning all the TV awards and uh, I don't know if that could be something that could eventually go against Gary Oldman in the end because it's going to be coming out because it's going to be coming after Lithgow sweeps the Golden Globes and the Emmys and all that stuff. I have Joaquin Phoenix for You Were Never Really Here. Uh, he won the can for Best Actor for this movie, and it also won Best Screenplay. It's a Lynn Ramsey movie, which is sort of a tough sell at times, but Phoenix, when he makes a movie, he's like a force to be reckoned with. He'll he'll definitely be in the running for a nomination at, at the very least. I have Denzel Washington for Roman J. Israel Esquire. It's uh, by Dan Gilroy, the director of Nightcrawler, and he looks like he just physically disappears into this role, and it, it could be like this sort of inner-city thriller French connection kind of thing. And he plays a defense attorney opposite of Colin Farrell in the movie. And uh, there could just be overflow love from fences. And they want to give him the award that they easily could have given him last year. And I have Hugh Jackman for The Greatest Showman. He plays P.T. Barnum, the who created Barnum and Bailey's Circus. I mean, that always has been a big hit in Hollywood. It, the, like, being part of the circus. And uh, the timing seems perfect and... The only thing going against it is that it's a debut director, and like, and the top two build actors other than him are Zac Efron and Zendaya. So, who really knows how how good it actually will end up being? It's it's also written by the writer of Rio 2 and an Amanda Bynes movie, but it does sound like the type of movie that would be really good. And I can't think that Hugh Jackman would just sign on to some like really awful like showbiz movie, but. And plus, he's also got Logan this year, which helps out too. Yeah, that, that that's what I was gonna say. There is, I I find it interesting that you're uh, you're saying Hugh Jackman would get nominated for The Greatest Showman instead of Logan, which has been a an accredi- a critically acclaimed film. And 
I know it's got a release date that works against it, but um, I, you got to think that that has a shot of, of getting in there as well, or in place. I mean, in place of uh, his no- a nom- potential nomination for the Greatest Showman. Um, I think it's really interesting that your predictions now have the exact same top two as your predictions back in January. You just flipped them. You had Gary Oldman winning and Daniel Day-Lewis second, and now you have Daniel Day-Lewis winning with Gary Oldman in second place. Um, Was any of that due to the fact that Daniel Day-Lewis announced his retirement? Yeah, that was was part of it. Like, it was that and the popularity of the crown like those were the only the really the two things that flipped them otherwise gary oldman like he he should win right yeah i completely agree with what you said especially with uh, the lincoln comparison of that first picture that came out of him if you haven't seen it look it up he he becomes churchill and but again that's gary oldman too he becomes every character he's ever played and just completely disappears into it and at sometimes I felt it's almost been a, to a fault for him. Like he is such a chameleon that it it he disappears into the role too much. Would you say that's a, that's fair? Yeah, it's like you don't even realize that he's in the movie. Sometimes he just is that character, and it's not. Oh wow, it's a great Gary Oldman performance. It's like that. Like that's a really crazy character. <laughs> and some of the stuff you you mentioned about the Greatest Showman. I, I know you agree with me. Zac Efron is a very underrated actor, and I think at some point he's going to uh, get recognized for being a decent actor. And Zendaya is coming off a big year also, having uh, been in Spider-Man Homecoming and, uh, and starting to work in that and become a name that's known outside of the Disney Channel circles. So I don't think that could be as detrimental as you may have said. Yeah. I mean, but but then again, it is a debut director. You would think that this type of sh- this type of movie would have gotten like Bill Condon or something like that to be the director, but valid I don't point. Know. Valid point. I don't know. Okay, honorable mentions for best actor. I have Tom Hanks for The Post. Uh, I mean, it's a Spielberg movie, and uh, it still is confusing his snub for Captain Phillips, which has now been absolutely. A while since that but yeah it's still like he's gonna get nominated again at some point it's been since castaway right i think you're right yeah it's been That's since ridiculous. castaway <laughs> and i have jake gyllenhaal in stronger uh i, I think it's crazy still only has one nomination but this looks like as like fiery and intense of a role that as that he can do and uh right now he's yeah, he he. Every movie he makes, he's gives a great performance. Whether it's Prisoners or Nightcrawler or whatever, he's he's acting like he he acts his ass off. And uh, Matt Damon in Downsizing. He also has uh, Suburbicon coming out this year. He's he is always going to be around the awards. And I have Harry Dean Stanton, who recently deceased uh, in Lucky. Uh, if he gets nominated, he would be the oldest nominee by four years. And posthumous at the same time which would be awesome and crazy at the same time because he's never been nominated before yeah i i remember seeing the trailer for lucky and thinking that he was almost guaranteed to have one of those career achievement nominations uh potentially even a win now i know he's dealing with heavyweights like gary oldman and daniel day lewis at the top of this 
But um, I think he has a very good shot of cracking that top five, especially now looking at the fact that it's going to be a posthumous nomination and a, uh, looking at it being a career achievement. Uh, this film screams uh, awarding him for that in a similar way to like Bruce Dern was awarded for Nebraska. That's kind of the the level I yeah. I well, see it as. I was thinking and it was I w- sort of I was I was thinking like uh, the straight story with Richard Farnsworth. It would be it's like that kind of sure like r- road movie, and he was obviously insanely old when he got nominated there too, and. I mean, that was a J- David Lynch movie, and this movie actually stars David Lynch. Which is strange. He's acting, but it's not his film. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, I, I would love to see him get in there. Um, the other one that stood out to me, Jake Gyllenhaal has very quietly become one of the top actors out there right now in everything that he does. Like you said, Nightcrawler, he was absolutely insane. And to follow that up with something like Southpaw that came out the year after, he has completely transformed himself into one of the top actors out there. And it's so strange that he has as few nominations as he does. Yeah, and he, like, somehow he gets overlooked by everyone, too. Like, I, if I'm not, like, I I think he might have gotten nominated for Nightcrawler at the Golden Globes, but I was just thinking, like, Love and Other Drugs was the last time he had, like, a major nomination. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, especially with the films that he's had coming out. That That's really strange that that was the last time he was recognized by anybody. Okay, moving on. Uh, we got two more categories left to, uh, to talk about here. Best Director, Todd, where do you see this going now? My number one, my winner for Best Director, I have Richard Linklater for Last Flag Flying. The movie, I, I think it has the hype and... He really should have won for his last movie, Boyhood. And it's a brilliant cast and nostalgic, and I I just think that, I think uh, it could be the movie to beat when all is said and done. And I have number two, I have uh, Spielberg for The Post. Uh, these type of movies usually uh, can have a good shot of getting nominated. I'm not sure if it can win. It depends on how big it is, I guess. Uh... But it, it is Spielberg, so he'll almost certainly get nominated if the movie is good. And number three, I have Alexander Payne for Downsizing, because, I mean, he's been nominated for Best Director for his last three movies, even though they're not, like, traditional Oscar director nominations. But it is Alexander Payne, so he should be nominated. Number four, I have Christopher Nolan in Dunkirk. It, it came out in the summer, which could end up being going against it, and he has actually never been nominated for Best Director before. But the reviews were so good, and the box office is so big, and everyone seems to be like just accept the fact that like it's crazy that he has not been nominated for best director. I think this is his definitely his most Oscar-friendly movie that he's ever made. And number five, I have D. Rees for Mudbound, which was my obviously my favorite back in January, and uh, it was a, a big hit at Sundance, and it it it, is, it would be a throwback Oscar movie and I mean and she is a young black woman and that would be a very huge uh, step for the Academy if they were to nominate her for best director I I still don't know how Richard Linkletter was completely shut out for boyhood I mean, no picture no director no screenplay after that I what I consider like 
one of the crowning achievements of filmmaking of this century so far. How it couldn't even get recognized for any of the big awards, at least for Linkletter at that Academy Awards. Yeah. Steven Spielberg seemed to have become this guy who always gets nominated but is never really a contender, but he always belongs in the mix. And it's, I have a feeling that The Post is going to be a very similar thing for him as it was for uh, for Lincoln and for Bridge of Spies and War Horse and Munich and all these films that he's had come out recently. He's never really a contender, but he always has to get in the list, uh, which is interesting. Like we said before, Alexander Payne will get in because he's making a film and it gets him in. And... I love the fact that you are considering Christopher Nolan, he needs to get nominated at some point. Um, I think it would be really interesting if this was finally what did it, because of all the beloved films he's done, it's so bizarre that he has still been left out. And potentially, the summer uh, release is going to hurt him again here, which is, I think, might have been what hurt him in for some of his other bigger films. Yeah, especially, and definitely The Dark Knight, I would say. All right. Uh, back in January, you talked about Mudbound being your, uh, your favorite for Best Picture. Now looking back at it, uh, and where things are now, what is your, uh, what is your list for Best Picture? You had nine getting nominated, um, in January. Are you sticking to that number? Yeah, I still have nine. Okay, so give, give me your top nine, and, well, give me your top ten. Alright, well... Uh, some of these are ones I just mentioned. So I have Last Flag Flying winning Best Picture, which is the Richard Linklater movie. I have The Post in second place. Uh, I have Call Me By Your Name, directed by Luca Guadagnino. That is the movie with Army Hammer. And, uh, like, recently, the like, actually truly best-reviewed movies have been making Oscar runs, and this movie seems like it could end up being that and it's sort of still under the radar right now but the reviews are still like out of this world so I think this that could that will be number three I have downsizing Alexander Payne's movie number four I have Mudbound number five Dunkirk number six Darkest Hour number seven uh which I think that movie definitely has the the British vote, which will be the, the token uh, BAFTA, maybe BAFTA winner that ends up getting nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. But Joe Wright's movies are sort of hit and miss. I have The Florida Project, number eight, which is the the Sean Baker movie. It would need... Uh, A24 really needs to have a big push for the movie, but I think that uh, these type of like coming-of-age, dysfunctional family movies like uh, can get nominated at the Oscars quite frequently. I thought The Glass Castle originally would be that movie, but uh, this movie uh, is getting better reviews than The Glass Castle did, and I think it kind of took that. And it, it, it seems really similar to Moonlight-ish in a, in a way with, uh, with, how it's, uh, with how it looks and structured. I have The Shape of Water, number 9, which is Guillermo del Toro's movie, and it looks like a definitely a return to form for him, and uh, it's about time because... Pan's Labyrinth was like such an interesting movie and he really hadn't done anything like that since. He's made some really strange choices. And uh, number 10, I have Blade Runner 2049, directed by Denise Villeneuve, coming off his best uh, director nomination. 
and uh, the the original has a really big cult following. And if the movie actually is as good as everyone hopes it can be, I think that it can get nominated, even though sci-fi sequels are, are do not have a great track record at the Oscars. Uh, I think this one could be different. All right. Sounds like a good list. Do you have any uh, honorable mentions here for Best Picture? I do. Uh, movies I've been I mentioned before. I have Battle of the Sexes, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri I have. I don't know. Like I was thinking when I was doing this, is being Cohen-esque like, good enough? Or is that a good thing? Like, do you have to be... <laughs> do the Coens have to make a Cohen-esque movie for it to be good? I don't know. But we'll find out with this, because it definitely looks like that. Uh, and I have the yeah. untitled Paul Thomas Anderson movie. What He's only been nom- his, he's only had one Best Picture nomination, which was There Will Be Blood. But his, but he, his movies have always are always right around that, uh, getting in. And I have Coco, which is a Pixar movie. And Le- it's Leon Critch's second movie, and his last movie was Toy Story 3, which was nominated for Best Picture, so it has to at least be mentioned until we find out if it really is that good. All right. So those are uh, Todd's Oscar predictions. Uh, Like I said, more times than not, he's pretty right on. Uh, Probably sometime around December we'll be updating these again. Does that sound about right, Todd? Yeah, definitely by December. Uh, Until then, you can check out almostsideways.com. Click on Oscar Buzz at the top, and you can see um, all of Todd's nominations Uh, looking back at what he said in January, looking at what he said now, and also if you want to, you can go back and see uh, some of his track record going back uh, uh, almost 10 years now. So uh, you can see uh, how he's done throughout uh, almost sideways history there in uh, predicting the Academy Awards. All right. Man, you do some research on that. That's impressive stuff there. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Okay. So since we uh, since we just talked about uh, the Oscars, um, we are going to stay on that theme as we hit this week's power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Exactly. Power rankings. For our power rankings this week, like I said, we are focusing on the Oscars, and we are looking at uh, actors that are deserving of nominations that have not uh, not made made it up into those that top five yet in their career. Um, the two of us looked at this uh, this situation in very different ways. So so the the words that that you kind of focused on are those that are due or those that have been robbed of nominations, exactly. basically, right? Yes. Okay. And, and you, you have a kind of an older list then, because you have the, the established people, right? Yes. My list, uh, I took it in a completely different way, and I looked at uh, actors who um, are working actors now that are younger, that are looking at being prime for an Oscar nomination in the near future. Uh, so... Let's get started. We have a uh, top five here, and then we've got a ton of honorable mentions because this these lists are impossible to leave to just a few. I'm going to get us started with my number five actor that is prime for a, an Oscar nomination, and that my number five is Chadwick Boseman. Uh, 
Chadwick Boseman has kind of built a career over the last uh, last few years of playing historic African American characters. Uh, he started with playing Jackie Robinson. He's played James Brown. He's playing Thurgood Marshall in a movie coming out soon. Uh, he is kind of become this go-to guy for playing period piece african-american characters and he has done an amazing job in all those films and if his career continues the way it's been i know he's taking a little detour right now for marvel and that's okay but if his career continues the way it's been going he will be uh in the academy awards and on that oscar stage uh before not too long yeah, that's a that's a good choice. I honestly don't know if I really think he's that great of an actor, but he's had so many great roles that there must be something that I'm missing. That's what I, that's what I kind of think. And uh, yeah, I think yeah, Thurgood Marshall definitely seems like a good role f- for him to uh, for him to take on. My number five is Ben Foster, and uh, I think his career has sort of been mired in inconsistency. But when he actually tries and he's making a good movie, like there are a few actors that are as impressive and and furious as he is uh ever since i saw him in hostage that creepy character who burns down the house i I knew that he was different and then i I came across like six feet under and his like coked out dennis hopper channeling in alpha dog and i like he was like i always i've loved him ever since and i he's one of the most interesting actors in the world and uh his snub for hell or high water still doesn't make any sense it was nominated for best picture and he was easily the best part of that movie the only thing that i can think of was he was probably lead and so that kind of probably hurt his chances if he was splitting votes with himself or something i think uh for him i have his biggest snubs i have the messenger hell or high water and 310 to yuma those are the three movies i think that he most certainly should have or could have gotten him closest to a nomination yeah in some ways you could think ben foster is kind of like a young gary oldman in the way that he's kind of this chameleon that disappears into his roles and for some reason never got recognized. I mean, Gary Oldman just finally got his first nomination in 2011 uh, when he had so many deserving before that. Um, I think they kind of fit in the same category there. Yeah, that's fair. I, I like that. My number four is one of the, uh, one of the most... Uh, in-demand actresses right now, and that is Elle Fanning. Uh, my number four, uh, most prime for an Oscar nomination. She has done some amazing work over the last few years, has really um, gone from being uh, Dakota Fanning's little sister and has taken off and become something all on her own um, through films like, uh, like Neon Demon, and um, she's got a few coming out this year. Oh, she had The Beguiled come out this year. Uh, she's really come into her own and shown that she is an actress that is really to be reckoned with. And if her career continues, it almost feels like she's almost on like that Jennifer Lawrence career path of pretty soon being that it girl for the next decade. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Elle Fanning. She actually... I actually have her in my personal nominations in 2013 for Ginger and Rosa. She uh, she has been she's had so many great roles in uh, in recent years, and she, like every, she has so many good movies coming out every year. Like every role I, I read for her, and it's like wow, that's a perfect role for her. wow, it's a perfect role for her. She just like has gobbled up every bit of those roles for anyone her age. So 
Uh, number four, I have one of my favorite uh, actors, Sam Rockwell. And uh, unlike Foster, I think he, his career has been marked by like incredible consistency, and uh, rarely does he have a role that isn't significant in some way. He he's always he's always on top of his game, and I of all the scene stealing supporting roles he's had, and all the great leading roles he's had, I, it's hard to fathom how he hasn't been nominated. Like uh, I remember how close he was in for getting nominated for Conviction, and uh, then it just didn't work out somehow in the end, and. He's had roles like Snow Angels and Matchstick Man, where he's just there's there's like hardly anybody else you can picture being in those roles. Uh, but my biggest snubs that I think that he has received were Moon, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, and Seven Psychopaths. Yeah, I, I was hoping you would say Moon and Confessions of a Dangerous Mind were the two that I was thinking. How in the world did he not get honored for that? Especially Moon. Moon was an absolutely incredible film, and he was the film. I mean, it was him and the voice of Kevin Spacey, and that was all that was in the movie, and he didn't get anything. It made me so mad. Um, completely yes. agree about Sam Rockwell. All right, uh, my number three on my list is someone who, at 33 years old, has really been snubbed twice already in his career, and potentially more, but he will be getting a nomination sometime soon. We hope and pray, and that is Paul Dano. Uh, Paul Dano is an absolutely incredible actor. Uh, the snubs I'm referring to, Little Miss Sunshine, uh, definitely he could have been uh, been in there, but the biggest one of all was uh, There Will Be Blood. His, uh, yes. his portrayal of the twin brothers in There Will Be Blood is absolutely astounding, and scene stealing from Daniel Day-Lewis, which is an achievement all on its own. To steal a scene from Daniel Day-Lewis is worth an Oscar nomination in itself. and Or even just to take that beating from Daniel Day-Lewis at the end. Um, but he has, he has continued on, and what I love about Paul Dano is he is such an offbeat actor. He doesn't take the traditional roles, and the perfect example of that is one of my favorite performances from him, and that's Swiss Army Man. It's such a strange movie, it's such a strange role, but he makes that film have heart uh, when it is this just bizarre concept from start to finish. I love Paul Dano, and he has, hopefully... He should have many nominations in his bag already, but hopefully he has some coming up really soon. Yeah, the, I love that choice. I, Paul, I've always loved watching Paul Dano. To me, like Little Miss Sunshine showcased it best. Like he's best with facial expressions. Like he he can have a whole that whole movie. All he did was expressions, and he was arguably the best actor in that movie. And. Uh, Another one that sticks out to me from him is Prisoners. He's just unbelievably creepy and strange in that movie. But the first time I ever saw him was in The Girl Next Door, and yeah, that'll always he'll always be Clits with a K. Yeah, that, a, he's, yeah, love Paul Dano. All right, okay, my number three best uh, actors who are, are overdue for a nomination uh, is Robin Wright. And it's a little difficult to include her since her best work of all time is in TV, which is in House of Cards, which she has won several awards for. But 
like her snub for Forrest Gump is one of the most head scratching things that I've ever come across in modern Oscar right? history because it doesn't make right? any sense how Robin how they Wright could overlook that. <laughs> <laughs> Robin Wright, exactly, <laughs> exactly right. But I don't know. For me, yeah, she always just plays like really grounded, relatable characters, and she never overacts, which is probably why she doesn't get singled out as much. But she's she's always amazing in everything she does, and. Uh, for me, other than Forrest Gump, her biggest snubs are She's So Lovely and A Home at the End of the World. Both of which, I mean, I guess that, that sort of speaks to how she she's always doing so you know, such indie movies that are, are like more meaningful movies, but she that aren't necessarily movies that people see a whole lot. But like the fact, I, I just can't believe she still hasn't been nominated. She's she's so great in everything she does. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I still. Again, Forrest Gump. How? How does Gen A not get nominated in Forrest Gump? All right, number two for me is uh, another one that, although he's only 30 years old, you could say has one or two snubs under his belt already, and that's Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan kind of burst onto the scene um, with the, uh, the indie hit Chronicle, but what really uh, put him on the map as a serious actor was... Uh, the 2013 film Fruitvale Station. Um, how he did not get a nomination for that, I still don't know. It was an amazing uh, performance in this heartbreaking uh, film about the last day of, of this man's life. Uh, absolutely incredible there. Um, he also got a lot, of, uh, a lot of acclaim for his portrayal in Creed, as he should have. He was incredible in that. I know... Stallone is the one that got the the recognition there, but Michael B. Jordan deserved every bit of it as well, and uh, he has some great things to come, and I know the nominations are right around the corner for him uh, moving forward. Yeah, great choice. Yeah, his performance at Fruitvale Station was the best performance that anybody gave in 2013. Like that, it was something of just like the most natural screen acting that i've seen in a long time but yeah for me like he's still he's he's wallace from the wire like that was the first thing i saw him in and then when he started to pop up in other things like you know almost a decade later they i was just like it just reaffirmed like everything i thought when i saw him like as a kid in that that show he's he's one of the yeah, he's one of the top actors in, out there right now okay my number two all right i have uh the actor who I, I did a blog about this uh, five years ago, and he was at the he was number one at the time, and that was Steve Buscemi. And uh, he actually is playing Khrushchev this year in a movie, which could be actually his like on paper his best shot at getting a nomination that he's had. I think uh, he it's always it was always going to be up an uphill battle for him because you know he's uh, he's he's kind of funny looking you know in a in a general sort of way. But uh, whenever he, whenever he has a real movie, like <laughs> he's always great. And I, I don't know. I, he, I, I like I, I get like with Robin Wright, his best his best performance ever was on TV, also, which kind of makes it difficult. But at least he's had that where he's actually won awards. It just needs he needs he needs to not just be an eventual honorary Oscar recipient. He actually needs to get his own nomination. He's his biggest snubs were definitely Ghost World, Fargo, and. I would say Reservoir Dogs is right up there too. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. Buscemi, uh, how he doesn't have one by now, I don't know. All right, my number one for uh, actors prime for Oscars, really my top three could go in any order, but the reason why I put, uh, put this one number one is because his career seems to be moving towards those award type of roles that would get recognized, um, and that is uh, Miles Teller. Uh, Miles Teller is one that already has, like I said, like the other ones, already has a, a pretty sizable snub on his resume. Um, J.K. Simmons does not win an Oscar for Whiplash if it's not for Miles Teller being there for him to yell and scream at. Yes. And Miles Teller was just as important to that film as J.K. Simmons was, and the fact that he was completely ignored by every awards ceremony was a crime. But then he rebounded from that and kept on going and has he makes a blockbuster or two here and there, but then he makes a film like War Dogs and he makes a film like Bleed for This and he's working towards these roles that are going to get recognized, um, continuing to look for what will uh, continue to push him as an actor, continue to um, expand his, his, uh, his range and show what kind of actor he truly is. And for that, I think he really has a shot at being the first one on this list to finally get that nomination. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm with you. Another one that he did that I really loved was Spectacular Now. What, what, I, what strikes me about him and, and Paul Dano, too, is I think they take their career very seriously, and which like a, a lot of younger actors don't. Like, yeah, Dano's made, or I mean, Teller's made some like bad... Uh, blockbusters like that awkward moment. He was also in that with Michael B. Jordan. Now that I think about it, but like he he's he's made some uh, a couple bad choices. But like from major like his one of his first movies was Rabbit Hole. Like who like what kind of younger actor has that be their their first movie and then continues to make like those kind of dark movies and those really good movies throughout their career. And he he continues it to do that. It was his first movie, by the way. It was, it was his, his first, movie. first movie was Rabbit Hole. Yeah, and he. Yeah, I I'm a big Miles Teller fan. That that's that's a great number one. My number one is who the person who I might actually think could be the best actor in the world, and that's Oscar Isaac. I, I mean, maybe other than Daniel Day Lewis, Meryl Streep, and Leo, I think he probably is the best actor in the world. And he can do anything. He he can make himself look like anything. I mean, his res resume may be kind of short, but it's as impressive as any actor. Even if the movie like seems lousy or something, like I ha I have to know more about it if he's in it, just because like it it it's becoming one of those things where it's almost like an event to go see it, because he is so interesting and so different than pretty much any other leading man out there, and uh, I think eventually he's going to win multiple Oscars. It's just it's crazy that he hasn't gotten that one yet, especially when he's been snubbed for movies like Inside Lewin Davis. A Most Violent Year, and Ex Machina, all of which were big hits throughout the awards community, just the Oscars overlooked based, overlooked them, and it's, it's unfortunate, but Oscar Isaac will, he will win an Oscar one day. And I think he's going to continue to get more opportunities now that he's becoming a bigger name, being a part of the Star Wars universe. That's just going to catapult his... Uh, his name into a whole nother, uh, whole nother level, which is going to give him even more opportunities to do that. It's so and easy, uh, and and X Men, yeah, and being the the villain there, he's unrecognizable in that though. I don't know if you could 
necessarily say that that's going to help gain him notoriety. However, Star Wars, I mean, you, you, who are the main three? I mean, you talk about you talk about Ray, Finn, and Poe, and those are the ones that you uh, that you look at as the as the new Luke, Han, and Leia in a lot of ways. Um, it's really easy to make the comparison to Pacino because he looks so much like him, but in a lot of ways, other than that, he is this generation's Pacino, and I I agree. He's he's going to get recognized and uh, and soon. I hope. So those are um, our top five. I know we both have uh, have several um, several names on our honorable mention. I'm going to start with mine. I'm going to start with two names that are not on my honorable mention for, for different reasons. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is one that is not going to be on my honorable mention. I've got five on my honorable mention. He's not because he's a little older. He's somewhere in, like, in between where my list ends and where your list starts. He, he's, he's reached an age where he's getting past being prime for an Oscar and start to be looking at being due for an Oscar, but he's not quite to the point that he is eligible for your list, so he's kind of stuck in this in-between zone right now. Okay, so so he was left off my list for, for that reason. Another one that didn't make my list and didn't make my honorable mention for a completely different reason, and I wish I could have had him on my list because he would have been easily in my top five, and that is Anton Yelchin, um, who tragically died last year. Uh, if he was still around, he would be on this list, no doubt, easily, 100%, because he was such an incredible actor that could disappear into any role and uh, and showed it in everything he had done in his short career. Um, I, I wish he was still around so we could see what he'd be he would be up to. But he definitely would have been on this list if he was still around. Yeah, I remember one time we said that he uh, he was primed to be our generation's Johnny Depp, and uh, unfortunately we never got to see that happen. Yeah, yeah, so sad. Anyways, really quick, I'm gonna run through uh, the five that did make my honorable mention. Um, uh, number ten on my list was Alden Ehrenreich, the new Han Solo. Uh, he's done some other things, especially Hail Caesar, that shows that he's got some pretty good acting chops, and uh, I think we'll be hearing about him for a long time. Uh, number nine was Will Poulter, who uh, was a child actor in things like uh, like Son of Rambo and the Narnia films, and just burst onto the scene again in Detroit, and just completely was amazing. Um, might be up for some awards this year, but if he continues that kind of a streak, he will be up up for awards very soon he's great in uh, the number revenue too oh yeah that's right um that's another great performance for him uh number eight on my list is daniel radcliffe uh he has done the impossible and broken out of the harry potter uh stigma he could have been stuck in and shown that he is really an incredible actor that could be uh that could be on these lists uh for the academy very soon uh number seven is elizabeth olsen uh, she's one that has a snub on her list, a lot of people think, for Martha Marcy May Marlene. And um, her work this year in Wind River might be something that could, uh, that could be considered as well. But she, if she continues her career in this path, she'll be, she'll be nominated very soon. And number six on my list is Shailene Woodley, just off my list, my top five. Um, 
again already has a, a snub that I already mentioned once for uh, for the Descendants, uh, an incredible young actress um, who really seems to be trying to follow in Jennifer Lawrence's foot, footsteps, and she has the talent to do it. She just needs to get the recognition soon. Uh, my honorable mentions are not in any order. I, I have them in alphabetical order. Uh, the first two actually share a very uh, common movie that people might have seen. Uh, they're Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. There are two that uh, <laughs> absolutely uh, should have been nominated already, and, uh, and they might have a movie they were there in together. I'm not sure. Uh, I have Allison Janney. Maybe. Who uh, I think um, I think she's had several uh, movies in the last 20 years or so that sh that she has uh, definitely had a scene stealing part in. I think she was very underrated, probably the most underrated part of American Beauty, and um, I think she she definitely is. Uh, one who has, should have been nominated by now, I have Scarlett Johansson, who is one of the actors who has had tremendous success at the Golden Globes, but has never somehow gotten nominated at the Oscars. And uh, John Turturro is my last honorable mention, and uh, he's had a very long, distinguished career, and is never singled out, even though he is always amazing in every supporting part that he has. Especially quiz show. Agreed completely. Awesome. Great. All right. So recap one more time. My top five. Number five, Chadwick Boseman. Number four, Al Fanning. Number three, Paul Dano. Number two, Michael B. Jordan. And number one, Miles Teller. And my number five was Ben Foster. Number four, Sam Rockwell. Number three, Robin Wright. Number two, Steve Buscemi. And number one, Oscar Isaac. All right, with uh, with all this Oscar talk, I think we're gonna skip our uh, Oscar uh, Oscar trivia for this uh, this podcast. We'll bring it back next time around. Uh, so we're gonna skip right ahead to our quote of the day. Strawberries, not the cheese. Womack, you bastard. Quote of the day. So this weekend, with uh, the release of the new film Mother by Darren Aronofsky, we decided to uh, pick some quotes from uh, Darren Aronofsky films that, uh, that we could uh, find, that we enjoyed. So, uh, Todd, why don't you lead us off with your, uh, with your Aronofsky quote? Okay, my quote comes from my favorite Aronofsky movie, that's The Wrestler. And this is uh, right at the end of the movie where... Randy the Ram is talking to Pam right before he goes into his final wrestling match, and uh, she's trying to convince him not to go because he's because of his health concerns. And he says, and he points away from the ring, and he says, "The only place I get hurt is out there. The world doesn't give a huh. shit about me." To which she says, "I'm here. I'm really here." And he said, and then cue "Sweet Child of Mine" going on in the background, and the crowd starts cheering. And he says. You hear them, that's where I belong. And to me, that's like the most like emotional and brilliant scene Aronofsky ever put together. And I don't know if you can make a better movie than that. And it also still really resonates because it's like former athletes who can't really make it outside of their sport. It's like they try to hold on as long as they can. They don't really feel at home unless they're part of that world. And that just like really comes through in that 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 scene. And it's a I don't know. It's it's a perfect scene and one of my it's definitely my favorite Aronofsky moment ever. 
All right. So uh, for me, I had to really think about this. Uh, there weren't any uh, any quotes that immediately popped to mind, unless I unless I just wanted to start quoting Shooter McGavin in Requiem for a Dream. Um, so I I went looking around and I found a quote from uh, Aronofsky's first film, Pi, that really I think encapsulates Aronofsky's career in this one quote. And it's a quote that's kind of repeated throughout the film. And uh, the lead character says, when I was a little kid, my mother told me not to stare into the sun. So when I was six, I did. And I think about this, this, uh, this quote, and in a lot of ways it really does sum up Aronofsky's career. You're, you're told not to do certain things. You're told that there are certain conventions that you have to abide by. So when he got to a certain point, he just said, screw it, and threw him out the window and created his career. And I think that is why he makes the films he does. That's why he's become this creative genius that has done some amazing work. And sometimes it falls flat on its face, and sometimes it is absolute genius, but he does his thing and better than almost anybody else could do. Um, and for that, I think this quote really sums up everything that Aronofsky is about. Well put. Well, thank you so much for listening uh, to our podcast. Again, um, if you're listening to us on iTunes, please go in there, uh, uh, rate us, review us, find us all over the web, and we will catch you next time. Go Hawks. Yeah! So that was a disaster. Catch you on a Manjay. <laughs>